for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Today we're reading a great part of scripture. Um, It's a really interesting story to me. We're reading about Simeon and Anna. We're in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to the Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, they being Mary and Joseph and him being Jesus. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, You are now dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people, Israel. And the the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them as his child said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after their marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God, and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Simeon and Anna have this unique position in Scripture because without any angels appearing to tell them, without being clued in by any human, they correctly identified baby Jesus as the Messiah. These disciples lived life with Jesus for years, the 12 did, and still had this fuzzy understanding of who he really was. But these two folks in the temple, when Jesus was eight days old, right away recognized him as the Messiah. And they prophesied over him to his parents and anybody else who would listen. So I gotta ask myself, why was it that these two people got it when so many other people did it? Simeon seems like this random older guy in the temple. He's been spoken to by the Holy Spirit. And Anna was this elderly lady who drove, hung around the temple all the time. 
And you gotta figure she probably drove the priests crazy. Just go home, Anna. You don't have to be here all the time. Why did God choose these two people to have special understanding about the identity of Jesus that nobody else in that temple received? You gotta wonder why. Why was it that Jesus was so obvious to them and so unobvious to everybody else? Was it because? They just noticed that this young family was at the temple and they, they were like, oh, hey, a baby, that's unusual. But it wasn't unusual to see a baby in the temple. It's not the fact that Jesus was a baby in the temple that got him noticed. Because, you see, Mary and Joseph were tilling, killing two birds with one stone by bringing Jesus to the temple that day. Because every firstborn male had to be brought to the temple to be dedicated and circumcised. When they, by the time they were eight days old. So they had to be there. There were babies in there all the time getting dedicated. And Mary needed to be ritually cleansed because after childbirth, she would have been ceremonially unclean. And so it was super common to have babies being carried around the temple, especially male babies. These guys were a dime a dozen at the temple. So you know that it wasn't just because this young family was there. Maybe it was because Simeon and Anna were more faithful than anybody else. Maybe it's just because they were like uniquely faithful believers. But I just don't know about that. There were priests walking around the temple, priests who dedicated their whole lives to the service of God. And I just don't, I don't understand, I don't think that Simeon and Anna were more faithful than every priest in the temple. No, I don't think they would have understood if they had been unfaithful believers. So I think their faithfulness was a, was a point in their favor, but I don't know if they were tons more faithful than every other believer in the temple that day. I don't think they were especially morally qualified. To be to do that. Maybe it's because they were old. Maybe their age gave them some kind of, of special understanding of who Jesus was. They had just seen so much, they'd experienced so much in life that they knew a special kid when they saw one. Maybe that had something to do with it, but you gotta figure there were probably more than two old folks at the temple anyway. That was like the, the hub of social and religious life. I don't think that it was necessarily any of that stuff. It wasn't because Jesus was odd. It wasn't because they were more faithful. It wasn't because they were older. I think that the reason that Simeon and Anna were able to recognize Jesus comes in a, like a, something that just seems like a throwaway line when he's talking about Simeon. On verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, but it says he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Some translations said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I think that Simeon and Anna 
saw who Jesus was and recognized him for who he was because they were waiting for him. Anna lived her life in the temple waiting for Jesus. And, and it says that she prophesied to everybody who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I think that implication is that Anna was waiting too. They were able to see the Savior in their midst and worship him as the Savior because they expected to receive consolation today. They came to the temple expecting God to be there. So when God in the flesh was carried by, they were able to recognize him. They expected God to be now, there are three kinds of waiting that I think we encounter. Maybe there's more than three, but there are definitely these three kinds. The first kind of waiting is biding time. It's what I call DMV waiting. It's the kind of waiting when you're stuck somewhere, you don't necessarily want to be there. And maybe one day you'll get out of this place, but the end isn't in sight, so all you can do is occupy yourself the best you can and try to stave off boredom until something changes, right? You just you know you're going to be in the DMV for a long time today. Just bring a book and you wait. And there were priests at the temple that day that I believe were doing this kind of waiting. They were in this holding pattern. Someday a Messiah is going to come. Someday God's going to rescue his people. Someday God's going to bring salvation but it's probably not going to be today. So I'll just keep the lights on, keep my routine up, keep going through the motions, do the sacrifices, keep the law, keep the temple running, occupy yourselves until God does something. And you know, there, there's a hopelessness that creeps in when you do this kind of waiting. There's this hopelessness that comes with like, I mean, like, maybe someday it'll come, but I just cannot keep looking forward to it. I cannot keep expecting anything to happen today, so I'm just going to stave it off. And some folks live our lives like this. We wait for God to do something in our life. We want God to show up for us, but we're not even sure what we want God to do for us anymore. And so we just keep our routine's going day after day. We've lost hope that God can or wants to do something in our life. Maybe someday down the road, and when I get to heaven, God will make things better, but I can't keep holding my breath for it. So I'm just going to occupy myself until that happens. So that's biding our time. The second kind of waiting that comes is fearful waiting, also known as dread. That feeling of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Oh my gosh, I hate that. I, I may have said this before in church, but it's so true. The worst thing you can say to me is, hey, Matt, I need to talk to you about something later. Oh no, I, it's just, it drives me crazy. I do not like it because I'm, I just go through my head. What do they need to talk about? 
What is it? I had a boss one time that said, hey, I'm about fixing to go on vacation for a week. When I get back, there's something really important I need to talk about. Are you kidding me? Come on, Dan. Just tell me right now. Oh, it was the worst week. It was nothing. It was not even that important. But I spent that whole week believing that I was fired. Because I'm a pessimist. When you tell me that I have to wait for the other shoe to drop, it, trigger, it triggers this dread inside of me. And I dread what it's going to be. And there were people in Israel during this time who were doing this kind of waiting. I got to believe it. Because Rome was occupying their land. Their people were subjected to a foreign king, Caesar, and it was only a matter of time before they were enslaved or killed off or the Romans just became so unbearable that some kind of war broke out. And they were, I gotta believe that there were people in Israel that were dreading what was going to come next. I gotta believe that there were some people who had lost hope that God would take care of them in their waiting. And so their waiting became more of a dread. How long is it going to be until Rome just crushes us all? I know God promised this Messiah, but it's been hundreds of years. It hasn't come. Maybe it's just not come. Maybe the next thing that happens is going to us. So some of us live this way in our lives, too dreading what's next, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Have you ever been in this point of your life where something good happens to you and then you just wait for something bad to happen because you figure that's got to balance out somehow? Like too many good things can't happen to me. Something bad's coming down the pike because it just, I'm doomed for it. That's that dreadful waiting. And it's rough. It's a tough way to live. But the third kind of waiting is expectant waiting. Christmas morning waiting. The kind of waiting that we've been talking about all month long when the prophets shook the box to see what the, the Christ was going to be. I don't think it's an accident that this passage involves baby Jesus because this expectant waiting is a lot like waiting for Christmas morning. Got this present under the tree. You just cannot wait to wrap it, unwrap it, and see what's inside. That kid on Christmas kind of waiting. The Greek word for the kind of waiting, this kind of expectancy that Simeon and Anna had was protocomenos. It means to receive or to expect to receive. This is the kind of waiting that Simeon was doing. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I believe that Anna was engaged in a similar kind of waiting. They showed up at the temple expecting God to do something, expecting God to rescue them, expecting God to console their expecting God to be their Savior. So when the Savior showed up, the arms of this teen mom, they recognized him for what he was because they had been waiting for him for so long. They had been expecting him for so long. And everybody else in the temple that day, I believe, 
was either biding their time or dreading the future. And so they saw the Savior get carried through and they just passed him on by. But Simeon and Anna were expecting him and therefore they recognized him. This doesn't mean that we get everything we want right away, right? This doesn't mean that we can just start expecting God to show up and then God's going to solve all of our problems. This isn't like a Christian movie or anything. This is real life. Simeon and Anna had to wait a long time. They had to wait decades to see their hope fulfilled. But they kept waiting, kept expecting. The prosperity gospel says, name it, claim it. (laughs) The real gospel says, wait for it, and God will show up. It doesn't mean that we get what we want when we want it, but it does mean that when God is moving in your life, if you maintain a hopeful expectancy that you'll see, that you'll be able to recognize it, respond accordingly. I think God is calling us as we enter into 2022. I think God is calling Garden City United Methodist Church to start expecting him to show up do mighty things. I don't know if y'all have seen the movie The Incredibles. It's really good. It's a Pixar movie about superheroes. I love that. Probably doesn't surprise me. But there's this one part in the movie where Mr. Incredible, he's like this superhero who's retired trying to keep a secret. He's had this really rotten day at work. Uh, he's had this terrible problem. And so... Uh, is mad and he gets out of the car and slips and he slams the door and crushes it and he gets so frustrated that he picks the car up over his head and then he looks down and he sees this kid on a trike in his driveway just amazed oh my gosh this guy's picking up a car so he sits down the car kind of awkwardly walks back to the house well You kind of forget about that after a while. Probably another half an hour of movie goes by. And then Mr. Incredible gets back out of his car again on a later time on a different day. He gets out of the car and he closes the door and he looks over to the kid and the same kids at the bottom of his driveway. And he says, what are you waiting for? And the kid goes, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. Because when you live next door to a superhero, it is not unreasonable to expect that something amazing might happen from time to time, that you might see something pretty cool. And when you serve a living God, it is not unreasonable to expect something amazing to happen from time to time. And yet, we go about our lives too often as if God has abandoned us. We act as if we don't serve the God who created everything, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who parted the Red Sea, who moved heaven and earth and defeated death to save us. We act as if that same God that accomplished all of that stuff for his people is powerless to do anything about our day-to-day lives. So my question today, going into 2022, is what are you waiting for? 
because I don't know about you, but I'm tending to wait in the kind of way that produces dread. Oh, 2020 was off. 2021 wasn't too much better. What's 2022 going to hold? I'm just dreading it. Are we going into this next year in the same holding pattern that we were for the last year? Or are we going to go in expecting that God might do work in your life? That God might do a work in this church? Because God is alive, he's active, and he is at work. But we're never going to see him at work if we don't start expecting it to happen. So this next year, I want us to stop coming to worship as if it's just another thing to check up our list to bide time when we wait for something else to happen. Worship is the thing that's happening. I believe if we come expecting God to move, then we will be surprised what happens when he does. I think you and I need to spend some time repenting from our low expectations of God. So today, the altar is open. You need to move a poinsettia, just come pray and ask God to raise your expectations of It's time for us to take the posture of Simeon and Anna, waiting for our rescue from God. Take the posture of the kid sitting in his driveway on his big wheel, waiting for something too amazing to happen, to see what God's going to do in our midst. Because I don't know about you, I need something amazing to happen to me. God's the one who can Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you to move in our midst. We need you to move in our church. We need you to do for us what only you can do. God, I feel like just as a people, we have reached the end of what we can do for ourselves. So we need you to come and do it for us. God, we repent of our low expectations. Show us who you are, God. Do a mighty work for us. Rescue us. Help us to expect.